Okay, so hi, I'm Timothy Mikis, and I'm here to talk about my paper. I, just as was said, a game interface to study semantic grounding and text-based model. So this is a paper I co-authored with my two supervisors, Mathieu Constant and Dennis Paperno. And yeah, so jumping right into it, my talk will have the following outline. I'll just start by explaining what were the motivations at the core of this project. Then I'll move on to the theoretical framework we built around it, and then how we implemented that into a game, as well as some very early results that we have right now. Uh, so to start with, with motivations, perhaps one good way to start is with a truism in uh, NLG in the community of uh, generating natural language. So one thing we very often said, uh, say, is that we generally don't have very good metrics to assess exactly the aspects that we're interested in. So one very, I think one core element that we're not really well able to target with the current metrics, for instance, is uh, factual correctness. So say I'm interested in generating a definition, for instance, for the word Wednesday. I may have some sort of target, such as the fourth day of the week, and uh, the metrics that we have will be based mostly on text similarity. And so I am much more likely to favor a incorrect definition, such as the 10th day of the week, rather than a correct one, but with a style that strays more from what is attested for my target. And uh, so that's a general problem. And it's not specific to the task of generating definition. You would have it, for instance, in uh, image captioning. Uh, it has to do with what we call semantic grounding, and uh, that is how you relate a word to a real-world object. And to give you a clear illustration of that, if I have the text seven tomatoes and I tell you this goes with this image here, you would be able to tell me that there is a mismatch between the two. So the sort of thing we were interested in was seeing whether there was a way for us to pick specifically these kind of mistakes between seven and four or fourth and 10th in these two examples here. Uh, a second problem we were also interested in was the question of what counts and doesn't count as distributional semantics. So there are various definitions of what are distributional semantics in general. So we have linguistic theoretical uh, definitions such as the one by Zelig Harris from the 50s that is uh, that anything that models word distribution also models word meaning to some extent. There is a practical understanding in the NLP community that distributional semantics is more or less the same than word embeddings. And uh, we also have more practical and uh, on-point definitions such as the one by Gemma Bolita, which suggests that any high dimensional vector that represent words that are learned from data and that leave that are in a continuous vector space or things we will call distributional semantics uh, representations. So in practice, it does leave quite a lot of room uh, for arguments still. So we have quite a different number of architectures that we can consider such as uh, co-occurrence matrices. So just very large matrices of counts um, that were developed in the early, late 90s but as well as uh, shallow neural networks, such as the word 2 vec model of Nikolov or 
deep neural networks of various kinds, be they recurrent neural networks like ELMO or transformers like BERT. And even, even if we just focus, uh, sorry, even if we just focus on neural networks, for instance, we see that we have quite a different uh, number of objective functions that we use to train these models. So we have multinomial classification or negative sampling, um, mass language modeling for in the case of BERT and so on. So one thing we consider was what sort of theoretical framework we could apply to all these different type of models that would apply equally to all of them. And uh, what we came up with is that you could always massage the models so that they would be able to tell you which word they prefer in a statistic context. So if you have, for instance, the context, she was in the office last, what corresponds better to this blank here? Is it the term Friday or is it the word Saturday? And if you look at it, you have actual models that directly model this uh, question here. Uh, so for instance, uh, the BERT model, so because this is basically a blank sentence and the BERT model is trained on filling these blanks, uh, but it also fits for uh, multinomial classification objectives like the SIBO word-to-vec architecture. Uh, another group that you have are those that models the probability of the context given a word. So you just apply base rules and you can retrieve again uh, the sort of inequality here. Uh, a third group is those that are interested in having, uh, in measuring whether a term is appropriate given a context, so in a binomial distribution. And here you can just renormalize over the full vocabulary. And again, you find uh, this inequality that we're interested in. Uh, fourth group that you can model is uh, all generative models like GPT that you might know. And here, what we do is just, there's previous work on that. Uh, and the suggestion has been to uh, measure the probability of the full sequence given uh, either of the two words you are testing. And obviously we could continue on to other models, but I guess you get the point by now. So that's an interesting framework, but what do we gain by casting all these different theoretical model in the same light? So things become interesting when we start to compare this task uh, on uh, what human would, would do with that. Given that, that it's just basically a fill in the blank sort of setup, it's fairly simple to explain to human participants. So the first thing we can gain by uh, asking humans their judgments on this task is simply to test the distributional hypothesis of uh, uh, Harris that I mentioned earlier. So the idea that anything that models word distributions also is a model to, of word meaning. So if we find two words that basically have the same distribution and that you cannot distinguish based on context alone, but that they do mean the same thing, then you have a problem with that hypothesis. It doesn't really work. Uh, a second thing you can do is, as I pointed out, you can obviously uh, test various models of embeddings, such as the one I detailed on the previous slide, uh, intrinsically. So one thing that is generally very frequently done in the community is to have a small classifier learned on top of the, uh, the vectors that you're trying to probe. And these classifier probes actually introduce a, a level of supplementary confusion that you could get rid of in this sort of approach. A third kind of thing uh, is that uh, we, if we expect humans to be very confused on a given pair of words, then it makes sense that a, a neural networks that generates text and that only has access to distributional information 
would also be confused on these kind of words. So we could test generated models on these kind of attacks. Um, that leaves open the question of exactly what context and what pairs of words we should be using uh, to test our hypothesis here. So the first thing that we want to keep in mind is that uh, we are going to test quite a lot of different models in the end with this kind of data set, at least that's the point. Uh, so we want to make sure that our context are as diverse as possible so that we can just like remove any sentence that would appear in the training data of any, uh, any embedding model and avoid any train test overlap. Uh, the second thing that we want is cover as much ground as possible because we don't really, at the start of this project, we didn't have a very good hang on what would make a pair difficult to distinguish or not. And so we plan to have as diverse pairs as possible. And so here we see that it also might make sense to have humans uh, input what sort of pairs are likely to be difficult. And the last thing is that very often these kind of projects tend to be centered on a single language, so there's English. And here we were really interested in having uh, as diverse languages as possible. So we, we've been working with English, Spanish, French, Italian, and Russian. Okay, so with all that, uh, now is how exactly we turn this uh, data set collection project into a game. So the first question to ask is what not conduct a basic uh, annotation campaign such as a uh, through a uh, Amazon Turk, for instance. And we have various reasons to uh, not do that. The first one was that in pilot studies, we had participants that told us that it was actually kind of fun trying to guess which word correspond to which context. So at least gamification of the task was on the table. Um, the second point was a question of funding. So uh, if you have annotators, you have to pay annotators one way or another. If you want to have a long running process, uh, then if it's a game online, technically uh, the only thing it costs you is the server to keep the game online. And so that was very attractive to us. Uh, a third point would be the question of data uh, diversity. So obviously if we have a game, then means that participants are more likely to come from a diverse pool than or selected annotators, right? So if we want participants to present pairs, then it makes sense again to have as open a framework as possible. Um, and the last point was that, uh, as I briefly mentioned previously, uh, we are interested in having both uh, human participants to try to uh, solve the task and provide us judgments on our framework, but also have uh, human participants propose pairs that they expect to be difficult. So that's a adversarial setup and it fits very well in a PVP sort of setup. So again, it made sense to try to turn this into a game. Um, so having a brief look at what the interface looks like. So there are basically two player roles uh, in the online game. So the first one would be trying to provide a judgment on a pair of words. So what we do here, so participants see this uh, very interface and they have two buttons to make their choice. So either the word climb or the word jump corresponds to all these blanks here. And uh, each of the sentences that they see here are just basically sentences where uh, one of the word 
was never present to start with and the other has been replaced by a simple blank token. What we do to generate this kind of riddle is that we start by the pair, then we just select any sentence that contains one of the words, but not the other. And then we simply replace by, a, by mostly a hard match. So that's the first uh, part. The second role, as I said, was to propose two, pair, uh, two words in a pair so that uh, uh, to see whether it would confuse other players. And here you have this second interface here where you just basically fill in this very simple form by uh, inputting two words in it. And uh, participants also have, players also have a feedback as to how well the pairs that they propose uh, fare. So here we see that beer and wine as a pair has managed to trick one in three players. And they kind of also have a preview of the sort of riddles that we construct uh, from, the, from their word pairs. If they want to have a better intuition as to what their pairs look like in the end. Okay, uh, with that, we have a Gabe online. And the next question is what exactly do we collect from this uh, online game? So we have two criteria that basically guide, uh, guide the sort of data collection that we do. Uh, we mostly care about linguistically relevant data because that's our starting point. Uh, on the other hand, we wanted to make the data set as broadly applicable as possible for the NLP community. Uh, so if we start with a word pair that has been annotated, the very first thing that we want to know is who proposed that word pair, the language for that word pair, what sentences were shown to the annotator, who was the annotator, whether they got the annotation correct or not, how long did it take them to reach a conclusion, as well as whether they found out, they suggested that the two words might be synonyms or not. So uh, obviously this also includes some personal data. Uh, so we have identifiers for the two annotators and we were not really interested in personal data outside of being able to match uh, players throughout the data set. So what we do is we just remove the player identifier and replace them with randomly generated strings. All that is just basically uh, formatted into a large CSV that we plan to make public as soon as possible. Uh, moving on to some very early results because the game has not been online for that long yet. Um, so here is a view of how many pairs. So we just compute for every work pair such as climb and jump, how often annotators uh, get, it, get this pair wrong and we then bin them by the average success rate for the annotators. And what we see is that the main majority of the large part of or the word pairs that we have are found to be uh, fairly simple to annotate, but we still have a tale of uh, more difficult examples. And the next question is, does these examples that are found to be harder actually match the sort of thing that we expect to find in it? So to give you some example, uh, in English, among the hardest examples that we had this far were hyena and jackal, which seems like a good sort of match. For Spanish, we had uh, cilantro and cebolino, and I hope I'm not wrong, but it should be uh, cilantro and chive. And for French, we had chenapon and polisson, which is um, scoundrel and rascal, if I remember correctly. So all, uh, in all these cases, these are not 
exactly synonyms. These are hard to distinguish. So that's exactly the sort of data we are looking for. So at least for now, we are validated with that uh, collection process. Uh, finishing up quickly uh, and leaving some time for a question, here we proposed uh, both a formalism to compare different embedding models, as well as a online platform to collect annotations. The platform was designed so that it would be easily extensible to any uh, new language that you might be interested in. Uh, in future work, we first plan, plan to collect more data in Russian and Italian, which is for now uh, very much missing from uh, our data set. Uh, also, applying the data that we have to test uh, language models and distributional semantics models in general. And also see if we can incorporate this data in uh, NLG metrics. Right, so here is basically where you can find either the, the website for the game and contact us and I'll be happy to take questions if there are any. So uh, John Chamberlain asks, um, how long do you plan to run the game project for? Uh, and do you have a, a data collection goal that you think would be of a useful size? So I am quite fortunate in that the lab I'm in right now had basically free servers that we can use to run the game. And so everything is in-house and it only depends on us having the, the server running. So for now, the plan is to leave it online as long as possible and try to automate the uh, data warehousing part of it. So that basically there would be frequent update whenever there is a significant amount of new annotations available. Uh, in terms of a number of annotations, uh, the basic goal that we had was to try to collect about 10,000 annotations all in all. We're already at 900, so at uh, 9,000, sorry. So that's pretty good to start with. Uh, we have, on the other hand, the more we're looking into that, the more it seems that this is the sort of, uh, of uh, process that is interesting to have uh, running on and on. Because obviously players present new pairs that we hadn't thought of that, and any new pair needs to have a certain number of annotations. So. We don't have a hard goal as to how much data we need. We just know that we don't have for enough for Italian and Russian right now. That's about all I can say. Thank you, Timothy. Um, so, so what was your uh, experiences with uh, player recruitment, if I could ask? What, what kind of recruitment channels did you, uh, did you use to, to recruit your players? So and how did you find them? We are all complete neophytes in that subject. So the all three, all three of us are uh, basically NLP researchers that have never uh, implemented a game before. I had some experience in web development and drawings, so I did the game, but that's it. And the uh, recruitment has been fairly difficult, uh, mostly through, through university uh, webmails has been the best way for us to get uh, people involved. So very large uh, mailing list that reach about everyone in the university has been the best way to get students and people involved. Excellent, thank you very much, Smith. It's an excellent uh, presentation, a very, uh, very uh, topical uh, subject right now, uh, understanding more about distribu distributional hypothesis and, uh, and the, the limitations and things of that with, with the advent of, of BERT and similar models. So right. that's a, a really interesting approach. Thank you very much.